Listeners like you support the Historian's Podcast and keep history alive on the internet. Please donate by clicking the GoFundMe link on our website, bobcudmore.com. Hi, this is Mary Zawaki, uh, here from the Schenectady County Historical Society, and I'm excited to, to be chatting with you guys a little bit today about the history of the Mohawk River, especially as it relates to, uh, of course, Schenectady's history. There's been a lot of increase in interest in the river in the last, we'll say, half decade with the new developments, Mohawk Harbor, that sort of thing. Um, so it's always important with uh, these new developments to pause and take a look back into the past and kind of figure out how we ended up here in the first place. This is the Historian's Podcast, and I'm Bob Cudmore. We welcome Mary Zawaki, who is Executive Director of the Schenectady County Historical Society. As soon as I uh, saw this in John Warren's uh, New York Almanac, I thought, what a great idea. I mean, we sort of talk around the Mohawk River, and it figures in a lot of stories, but uh, I can't remember ever talking with anybody about the history of the Mohawk River. <laughs> well, to, to be clear, I'm certainly not a geologist. You know, the really prehistoric history of the Mohawk River, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not the one to chat with, but the more social and, and cultural history, um, again, as it, as it relates more to Schenectady and, and the surrounding areas. Yeah, I'd love to talk. Despite what you said, what about the uh, Mohawk River? What was the river like 20,000 years ago? When you go back 20,000 years, you're kind of talking about the Ice Age. Um, And so a lot of upstate New York, all of upstate New York really was under ice or in a glacier. Um, So what ended up carving the valley was when the Ice Age kind of started to recede, you had a lot of ice melting. And uh, that deluge of water was released. And it was so great that it, uh, it carved out right through, through our Mohawk Valley an entirely new riverbed. And that's, uh, that's, that's kind of the short history of the very long history of the, of the Mohawk River. And they had a different name. I mean, it's based on Mohawk. I don't know who the geologists call it. What, the Iro Mohawk? Yeah. The Iro Mohawk, right, exactly. And it was, I mean, the, the volume of water, I think, is almost unimaginable. Uh, today it certainly was not a placid a placid river like like it is in the uh, 21st century <laughs> when did the river finally settle down that's way back in the in the prehistory uh, of the area but certainly by the time people were beginning to settle here and make their home here uh, we were we were dealing with a placid river and and of course by the time we had the first settlers and colonists coming over from Europe um, it was a very placid river and so was the, was the river as we know it when uh, the Dutch, for example, came here in 1600s, or, or what? I mean, the, the landscapes, or, did it look the same as it does today? Not, not exactly. Not exactly. There's been a lot of man-made changes to the Mohawk River um, in the past, let's say, 400 years, uh, starting with, again, the, the very um, earliest settlers who created sort of fishing weirs within the river to be able to more easily capture fish. Even from the 1600s, people were kind of manipulating the land because it was, it was an important waterway, right? And that's, that's kind of the key thing here with talking about the history uh, of the Mohawk River. It is such a key waterway to the development of New York State and to really the development of the country because, you know, the reason we had these, these settlers coming over from, from Europe was to trade first, to trade pelts. And that's only going to be possible if they can access the interior of the country where all of these animals were living. And when you consider how mountainous 
the eastern part of the United States is you have the Appalachian Mountains that are stretching from Georgia all the way up to Maine. That's going to be difficult to traverse. I mean, even, even today, it's, it can be difficult to get through the mountains. The Mohawk River creates this kind of nice valley where you can cut through and you can get to the mm-hmm. interior. You can get out to places like Michigan and beyond where, you know, in the 16 and 1700s, that was a vast wilderness filled with all kinds of animals to be trapped and ultimately traded. The Mohawk River rises in Rome, does it not, or somewhere near Rome, New York, and then goes through what we call the Mohawk Valley now and empties into the Hudson. Yes. Well, it's, it's, um, it, it rises quite a bit between the Hudson and its, its ultimate um, western terminus, which is why over the course of, let's say, even beginning in the 1700s and then, of course, with the Erie Canal in the 1800s, so much construction and, and adapting of the river was necessary to make it as navigable as possible, right? So even though it is the easiest way to get west through the mountains, it, it certainly wasn't easy. There was a lot, of, um, a lot of technological changes that needed to be engineered to make it completely passable. You're in the, with the Schenectady County Historical Society, and Schenectady was uh, first uh, settled by the, by the Dutch and Arendt van Curler. Well, he had to get permission, in a way, to, to, to do this. It was not the beaver pelts were being traded with the Mohawks, for example, and maybe some of the other uh, Indian tribes, but that was being done back in what we call Albany, or they called Fort Orange. It was sort of a big deal to establish this other place where they could uh, trade for beaver pelts. Yeah, Albany was, of course, the you know the mecca of the, of the fur trade at this time. But people were were smart and savvy enough to know that whoever controlled kind of the gateway to the Mohawk Valley would ultimately have control over the fur trade, which which made the founding and early days of Schenectady pretty complicated because. Um, they here they had access to this this river, which is the lifeblood of this um, burgeoning colony, and every opportunity to trade with the Native Americans themselves. Yet they weren't allowed to; it was illegal. And so you have incidents of people getting in trouble for illegally trading. Um, the way Van Curler got around it was he he said it was great farmland, which it is, and people wanted to come and, and settle on the mm-hmm. on the flats of Schenectady to farm, which, which they did, um, but there was always a bit of an illicit fur trade going on as well. So they, they were trading for furs even if they were growing uh, broom corn or growing whatever they're growing. Right. I don't know that they were growing broom corn quite that early. They convinced everyone that their focus was on agriculture, but definitely a lot of the founders were participating in the fur trade. Now, you mentioned the, the efforts to control uh, the Mohawk River itself. Can you explain what fishing weir was? Mohawk fishing weirs are uh, sort of technical, so let me make sure I get this right. Um, They're made of stones, essentially V, stones in the shape of a V, that are built in shallow parts of the river. So the builders will leave a small opening at the point of the V where they attached a basket, and then they would (laughs) capture eels as they swam through. Um, And this this way of gathering food, gathering food resources, um, was actually not just helpful for food, but in the late 1700s when the Western Inland Lock Navigation Company came through, um, they saw that they could kind of adapt this technology to make the Mohawk River more navigable. And how did they do that? Or what, what, what did the weirs do for the river? Well, it's, they sort of act as a dam, so they're creating these pools where water is deeper. 
Um, and so that's easier for boats to navigate through the Mohawk, which is famously shallow in certain parts. So by kind of adapting that technology, they could make it so that boats could more easily get through the shallow parts of the Mohawk River. They developed a certain kind of of boat or a different design of a boat, a bateau? Yes, a bateau. And we actually at the Maybe Farm have two replica bateaus, which um, we take out a couple times a week during special events. Um, but they are uh, they're basically large rowboats, although they do also have a sail. Um, and they're they have a nice sort of bottom bespoke to the Mohawk River and its rough rough conditions. So, you know, to be able to navigate the sandbars and rapids and not get stuck. So the bateau has pointed ends and flat bottoms and are um, easy to navigate. Well, easier to navigate through the Mohawk River's treacherous obstacles. And so the Dutch and then the following uh, settlement, when the settlement was controlled by the English, they started uh, using the bateau uh, to ship things or move people on the Mohawk River. I thought that was kind of interesting because I, I, you know, know in general the concept of the Erie Canal. I thought before there was an, an Erie Canal, you couldn't use the river for navigation, but to some extent you could. Oh, yeah. I mean, the river was being used for navigation from the beginning. The Erie Canal made that process much easier and, and, you know, a lot more goods and people could be shipped. But absolutely, it was, a, it was an important waterway from, from the very beginning. And people were always trying to figure out ways to adapt their technology to, to be able to make that trip. Although, of course, you know, once the Erie Canal is built, there's more settlement that's happening out in the western states. So then, you know, there's even more of a need for transportation of people and goods. Back in, in the 17 and early 1800s, there really uh, weren't too many people out west. So uh, it was mostly trade goods that were moving. They were made in Schenectady? They were, yes. Yes, Schenectady was a big hub for the construction of bateaux and other boats, especially uh, what is today, you know, the Stockade neighborhood downtown. Um, a lot of, of, of um, land right on the river would, would have been a booming boatyard. We've been talking about bateaux. Are they different from Durham boats, D-U-R-H-A-M? Yeah, they're pretty similar. Um, the difference is Durham boats are just much longer. They were built mainly to carry cargo? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yep, exactly. To <laughs> just go up and down the river carrying whatever needed to be transported. So the folks in, now living in Schenectady have sort of a good thing going here. They're making their bateaus and, their, and the Durham boats and they're shipping things and so forth uh, along the river with, with some difficulty. But then they had two problems, you say. First is a big fire. Yeah, it was kind of a double whammy for them. In a period of, of six years, all of their <laughs> all of their main commerce kind of um, gets zapped. First by, yes, a huge fire, which destroyed a lot of the commercial, uh, the commercial wharf district of Schenectady. So, you know, that's going to be really tough to rebuild. And then just six years later, um, the Erie Canal is completed, which was an issue for Schenectady. It turned out to be okay in the long run, but in the beginning, um, people were definitely not, not in favor of that um, because they were afraid it would divert traffic away from the Mohawk and divert traffic away from Schenectady, which means, you know, if you see that today when, 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 a, when a super highway is built right on the outside of a small town, and now that's kind of the end of, of the small town. So people were definitely concerned. 
Yeah, I, I was interested to read that. I never thought of that. I thought everybody wanted the Erie Canal, but Schenectady didn't necessarily. No, they were they they really had a lot of of prosperity because of boat building on the Mohawk River, and a canal takes away um, that Mohawk Harbor uh, Mohawk River Harbor you know, being an important part of Schenectady. And then also, it's a new kind of boat that's going to be used on the Erie Canal. So all of these Bateau and Durham um, boat building workshops are maybe not going to be as useful. But eventually, commerce exploded on the Erie Canal. Yes, exactly. It ended up being a good thing for just about everybody, uh, the Erie Canal, because it opened up the West completely to settlement and with, with so much population moving out there and and Schenectady, you know, the Erie Canal did go through Schenectady, and it was an important stop. So there were a lot of people and a lot of goods that just kept coming through Schenectady during um, during the 1800s. And we're talking with Mary Zawaki of the Schenectady County Historical Society uh, about uh, the early days on the of the Mohawk River, or the history and background of the Mohawk River. Now, so they build the when they build the Erie Canal, at first. The canal is separate from the from the river. How did how did that work? Right, right. <laughs> um, it was separate from the river because the river was so. Uh, well, the reason for the canal is because the river has issues like change in elevation, waterfalls, rapids. So they used sort of the land next to the river to build what basically is a huge ditch, the Erie Canal and um, installed locks to allow for changes in elevation so that boats could, um, you know, go up and go down. Um, and, and, that, and that worked for a while, but ultimately it was the Erie Canal, which ran parallel to the Mohawk River, was, uh, was too small. You know, as, as more, more and more boats are coming through, bigger and bigger boats, more and more cargo, it's just, it's just too small. So um, in the early 1900s, engineers decided that they had to do something about that. They turned the Mohawk River, they merged the Mohawk River with the Erie Canal. So they're one and the same today. I was trying to figure out, I mean, what did it look like when when the uh, Erie Canal was separate from the Mohawk River? I don't know, let's say outside of Schenectady. I mean, you had the, the river, you know, where it is now. And the canal was a little bit, it seems to me it's usually a little bit south of where the, the river was. Yeah, right. Although that's, that's an interesting point because the canal actually did crisscross the river using aqueducts. It would go across the river, which, you know, sounds kind of insane. But you have to remember that when this was built, all of the various townships along the Mohawk River uh, like, let's say, Clifton Park, for example, Waterford. Everyone wanted a piece of this canal. Everyone wanted this canal to come through their town because if it didn't, well, they're out of luck. So through a lot of lobbying and negotiating, a lot of politicking, let's say, um, the the final route of the canal did kind of crisscross here and there to um, satisfy the demands of these various politicians in their communities. Mm. So the... Well, I guess you'd say the last big reconfiguring of the canal and the river was in the early 1900s when they canalized the river. They made the river the canal. And how did they do that? Through locks, through dams, creating a uniform channel, you know, with uh, with uh, uniform depth. 
a lot of a lot of fancy engineering, I guess, <laughs> is the best way to put it, um, so that it could be easy easy to navigate for for vessels of different sizes. And you know, obviously, those locks are still there. Um, there's lots of locks along the Mohawk River um, that allow it to be used as a canal. And this of is only in our end of the Mohawk Valley, right? I mean, you have the canal and it's part of the river in Schenectady, Amsterdam, Fonda, Fultonville. But it seems to me when you get up toward Herkimer, the river goes one way and the canal goes another. Right. The Mohawk, you write, today is pastoral, but it can be frightening. So it's bad and good. I mean, it's it, it looks, for example... This time of year, we get into the summertime, the uh, Mohawk and the canal that's within it, it looks uh, <laughs> looks lovely. But when you have a lot of rain in the spring and ice in the winter, it can be very uh, dangerous. Right, and that's that's a big concern for for people in this uh, in this community and in communities all along uh, the Mohawk the Mohawk River in Schenectady County. There's always a risk of flooding. Um, not just when the ice melts, but, you know, if there's heavy rains in the spring or the summer. I live in the stockade, and it's definitely something that my neighbors are concerned about every time there's a big storm. It's ironic how this, this river, which has attracted us here because of its life-giving potential and beauty, really can also be f- such a force of destruction. You, you said your neighbors are worried about it. What about you? I think, I think my house is okay. I, I, it's built up pretty high, so I'm not too worried. Okay. I, I did an interview with a, a gentleman from out in the middle part of the state who's written a book about the bridge dams, which are the uh, dams that you see at the locks on the Mohawk River Erie Canal, uh, which are temporary dams, right? They they can raise the the dam, the dam part of it, if you will, uh, in in the winter, so that the water can flow freely. I'm not I'm not an expert in that technology at all, but I I do know that they're always looking for ways to con- better control the water flow of the Mohawk. And it's interesting because you know sometime uh, some some parts of the year, um, like if there hasn't if there hasn't been a lot of rain or if they're you know doing kind of funky things with the locks, there's parts where you can almost walk across without getting wet you know the water is so shallow and then a matter of maybe a month later and it's 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 surging past its banks so there's definitely a lot of variables that that go into um, into the depth of the water the place we drive for example on the 890 you, you go um you see the uh, canal river let's say you're going west we're on it's on your right and in the early spring or late winter, if we've lost snow cover, it's it's very. Um, you, you, oh, it's never going to work. I mean, they're never going to get enough water for this. But it always seems they do. Exactly. Yep. The work that's being done on the river in different ways now. Uh, for example, in Schenectady, the casino was built by the river, and they call it um, that development, Mohawk Harbor. Have they changed anything important as far as the river is concerned? I, I know that there's they they certainly terraformed the land pretty significantly. So they really built that up, um, created the harbor, which is kind of like an inlet that comes in. So there's a big berm on the other side to protect it from the weather. 
yeah, there's, they, they put a lot of, of terraforming work into making that possible. There are some who think, like I, I talked to some people in law enforcement when I used to do um, radio news up in uh, Montgomery County, and this is back in the early 2000s, when there started to be like a series of, of floods in uh, that part of the, of the Mohawk Valley, you know, based on the river and its uh, supporting creeks. And I remember some of the law enforcement people, you know, who have to care, deal with this as a as an issue. They were like afraid, you know, or I don't know, afraid is the right word, but they were concerned that maybe uh, we were being we were going overboard in trying to um, get so many people down by the river because w- w- the river can kind of turn on you at some point. Yeah, that's a great point. If it if there is a, an emergency, then you know the more people you have down there, the more work that's going to be to evacuate them all safely. I know, for example, in Fonda, one of the things they did. I mean, for I don't know if it was centuries, but for many many years, the county jail and sheriff's office was in Fonda, right down by the river, and would frequently flood, and it still does. So they saw as an answer for that. They, they moved the sheriff's office and the jail way up on the hill, so you don't have to worry about that. It's probably a smart decision. It's something that will always be with us. W- one thing we haven't talked about, maybe this is, an, you know, again, maybe outside your area of uh, expertise or whatever, but when the river got uh, to the Hudson, there's this um, tremendous waterfall at Cohoes, uh, where you know they have to had to get around it with the uh, with the canal. They couldn't use the river at that at that point. That part of the Mohawk River is still, I guess, kind of a separate, tiny little canal, really just a workaround to go around the waterfall. But as Mary has told us, a long stretch of New York's Mohawk River became a canal in the early 1900s, making that possible was an innovation called the bridge dam. And bridge dams are still in use today. On Historian's Podcast, episode 272, uh, back in 2019, I spoke with Michael Riley, who's written the book, Bridge Dams on the Mohawk. The bridge dams are those uh, marvelous structures you see in the Mohawk Valley. Um, they're strictly, uh, there's a couple outside the Mohawk Valley, but they're, when you're driving along the thruway or if you're driving along Route 5 or 5S, you see these large green bridges spanning the Mohawk River. Um, there's one in Rotterdam Junction, there's one in Cranesville, there's one in Amsterdam at Guy Park. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are a type of navigation dam. Um, so the, what happens is the, the bridge holds the dam framework. And so they can raise and lower the uh, the dams and get them out of the way of the uh, the ice and the heavy flows in the Mohawk. Um, so they're a very unique structure. Um, they're not found anywhere else in the world. Um, at one time they were very much in fashion, but now they're uh, they're kind of antiques. And um, I think we're very lucky to have them in the Mohawk Valley. Then in about the 1900s, they decided that they would make use of the river again. They thought that they had the technology, they had the, um, the materials, the steel work and the iron work, and they would make use of the river again. So they took the, they just basically moved the Mohawk or the Erie Canal into the Mohawk River by using these dams and um, to get away from the problem of having these ice flows wipe out 
any type of fixed dam that they might build in the river, they just decided to use this this one dam that they found in the um, Czech Republic. Um, they decided that they would use this as a model, and they would hang the dam from these bridges. So the bridge work that you see, you know, I remember as a kid, I'd be driving by and I'd say to my father, why is that bridge there? Why is there no, you know, why can't we drive across it? And he said, well, they, they were thinking about building a bridge, but they, they didn't, you know, they just never used them. And that wasn't exactly correct. So they, um, but the, the bridge itself is the framework that holds the dam. Well, Mary Zawaki, uh, thanks for telling us about the Mohawk River. Mary Zawaki is executive director of the Schenectady County uh, Historical Society. We have a few minutes uh, left. You have a, a research project underway about African American history. We do actually. We have uh, we sort of have two uh, research projects we're we're doing in conjunction well, with each other. One is we're taking a a very in depth look at the Schenectady's African American community during the 1800s because mm-hmm. you know we we found that there was um, a large population of African Americans in the beginning of that century. <clears throat> And they kind of almost all disappeared um, in the mid 1800s. So we're we're trying to figure out um, more about about that community and that population and and what happened and look into some of the individual stories of some of the folks who um, who were here for that. And, and then in more contemporary history, um, we have a big a big survey project we're doing right now, the African American Historical Records Project where we're hoping people, present-day people from the African-American community will fill out a survey for us, and um, from that we can begin to make sense of different um, historical resources that are out there that can help tell, tell the story of, of the African-American community in the 21st century, the 20th century, and, and even back you know, to the 19th century. So uh, folks, folks who live in Schenectady or are from Schenectady are... are are invited to visit our website and fill out that survey. We're looking for, for example, church records uh, or business records or personal stories just of, of what it was like maybe growing up as an African-American in Schenectady in, in the past, uh, well, in our lifetime, I guess. The, uh, well, tell us a little bit more about the Schenectady County Historical Society. First off, you have two uh, museums, right, in, in different locations in Schenectady County. We do. We have the Maybe Farm Historic Site, which is out in Rotterdam Junction. That's right on the banks of the Mohawk. Um, and that's a large complex with exhibits and historical buildings. We have demonstrations, concerts, all kinds of fun stuff goes on out here. And then down in the city, downtown in the stockade, we have our, our headquarters, which is a museum and library. And we do a lot of walking tours and other fun stuff around the neighborhood down there. And also you have a, a library, correct? And it's a place for research right exactly it's um it's it's the 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 premier collection of of everything related to schenectady county history all of the records postcards photographs maps documents all of that we have um stored there and it's open to the public to come in and do research on local history or genealogy um and we're actually very excited because later this year we're, we're undergoing um, a big expansion of our storage facility. So we'll be able to ensure that in the future we can keep collecting important documents and safely preserving them for the future. You mentioned a few categories of why people uh, would, would come to you to do research. One of them was uh, genealogy. What are, the, um, 
what are people interested in these days? In terms of genealogy or historical research? No, in, in, histor- in historical research. And well, people are interested in, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's all over the place. We get a huge variety of, of research inquiries um, from, like, you know, 20th century GE stuff. People want to learn about that. Right now we're researching. Um, there was an architectural firm that contributed a lot of big design work to Schenectady, like, in the 1960s and 70s. So we have folks researching that. And then, of course, you know, we always have people interested in researching diaries from the 1700s or maps from the 1800s, really. Any any kind of story that you want to tell, we can probably find some resources to help you research that story and tell it. You've been listening to The Historian's Podcast, and I'm Bob Cudmore. Our guest, Mary Zawaki, who is the Executive Director of the Schenectady County Historical Society. <laughs>